0: Never quite get the timing right, so we're live, and it's episode 14 of the Embodied Business Inspired Brain Podcast, and I'm Chantel Lopez, and we are missing our sweet dear brilliant Anne today. Um, she's getting her kiddos ready uh, for the start of school, like many of us are. But in lieu of Anne, I'm joined by two of our amazing teachers that we are currently working with. Um, Tammy leisher and Lauren Hi. Thompson, welcome. Hi, Tammy. Hello. How are you? How Hi, are you, Lauren? Today? Hi. Good, 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 good. I'm preparing myself for what is supposed to be an like a 98 degree day, yeah, <laughs> which is unfortunate because it's been, in, it's been in the low 90s, which is actually quite quite uh, pleasant. And by Tuesday, I think we're back up to 104, which I am not looking forward to. Good old Sacramento. Um, We are coming off of a pretty excellent um, three or four days with each other. Lauren and Tammy were both in uh, Sonoma County, California with Anne and I last weekend for our Embodied Course Creators Retreat, which was fabulous. Um, And we had so many, from my perspective, so many really um, wonderful insights and breakthroughs and some of the things that I felt kind of um, surprised by, which is a great experience, right? To be surprised by the work and how it evolves. And so one of the reasons we are here talking with both of you is to kind of dive into this experience that you've had working with transformative educational design and what the heck that even means. We're gonna um, be sharing a little bit of where both of you are starting from or where you were before you entered into the work with Ann and I, and then just how it's changed the work that you're doing both um, from a teaching perspective, building your businesses, and then from a personal perspective. Um, So welcome and thank you again for being here. Um, It looks like we've got like a slight little laggy delay with Tammy. So, so bear with us if we have any, you know, kind of weird pauses. Um, And I think we'll start. I would love for you both to introduce yourselves to this beautiful community. Um, Lauren, would you start? Tell us a little bit about where you are and what's your jam right now? What you're up to? Yeah. um, So my name's
1: Lauren Thompson and I am in Olympia, Washington, but I am new to the area. I I just got here from Kansas City and my studio, um, Thrive, is still in Kansas City. So I'm kind of in two places at once a lot lot of the time. Um, But right now I'm really working on a 12-week postpartum course that um, has a little more bite to it than a lot of the postpartum courses on the market right now. And that course is for building into a larger set of courses, um, for women and times of transitions. Um, so those are the, those are my big projects right now.
0: I am so uh, curious for you to share more about what you mean when you say it has a little bit more bite to it. So, uh, let's put a, let's put a pin in that because I'm excited to hear what that means for you. And, um, if that's a, I don't think it's a new perspective for you because what I know of you is that you are deep and you are feisty, you are fierce and you get straight to the point. So, um, but I, I'm, I'm looking forward to kind of lifting that up a little bit for folks. Um, thank you again for spending yeah. more time with me. <laughs> oh, <So> good. Lauren <laughs> and I actually even drove to and from the Sacramento airport together and had some really uh, titillating conversations Um pretty unforgettable. So I'm grateful that you're willing to be with me even more. (laughs) So one of the things that we, we love to do to start the podcast, uh, outside of technical difficulty management, um, is real life riff what's in process, what's in progress. Um, so for me, after the um, retreat, so we did this really cool thing, which was super simple, almost kind of rudimentary, um, where we pulled value cards every day. And I thought that was a really interesting, um, you know, that kind of work, it, just to bring it to light in a consistent way over and over again, I find really um, grounding and steadying. And, and Anne and I both had this really interesting experience on day one and I think I shared this kind of tongue-in-cheek maybe on the last day with you, Lauren, and everybody, is that on the first day, Me. somebody pulled risk-taking. <laughs> that was you. Okay. <laughs> and I remember thinking, right, as you're like standing there, everybody picks a card and then everybody reads the card. And then the uh, the objective was, um, and I shared this on my Facebook page, I think yesterday, is You categorize the, the value as like matters most, matters a little or some, or not, doesn't really radar. It's not on your radar at all. And I immediately felt in my body that risk-taking was something that I consistently, deliberately, consciously engage in. Um, not like outside of motorcycling, we won't get into that, but I, I I'm pretty physically risk-averse. Like I don't like... You know, I I don't ski and I don't snowboard and I don't want to like do things that are going to hurt my body. Although some of you would argue that motorcycling is, <laughs> you know, a thing that would. But I do recognize that one of the qualities in my life and in my work that has produced the greatest results is really moving into things that are uncomfortable. And in my mind, that's a form of risk taking. And what I found really interesting as you all, you know, went around and shared your values was that no, nobody was like risk-taking was not a thing. It was either not on the radar or a few of you said, I would like to improve my ability to take risks. And then later, Ann and I were discussing how interesting it was because she and I both resonate very deeply with being risk-takers. And so this is what I'm thinking about right now. This is what's in process for me. The the tremendous growth that happened in the three days we were all together, again, was was surprising, delightful, and surprising to me. And I began to think about the reward that comes from taking that kind of passionate, joyful risk, right? Like not throwing yourself into a snake pit or anything like that, but but really taking kind of inspired, deliberate action and risk. Um And that a lot of times people are risk averse and they don't even know why they're letting things old fears or old limitations or stories um, or past experiences hold them back from from really stepping into the the kind of risk taking that actually will allow them to make more money will allow them to um you know put their work out there in a larger way and so what i'm really thinking a lot about this week is the different ways in which we can hold space for taking risks, and kind of doing like a risk assessment, right? And there's a big nervous system piece in this, which is noticing how our bodies respond to um, feeling at risk or not safe, and then and then what uh, kind of assessing whether or not that's an accurate lack of safety or not. So. You're going to see a lot of that for me in the next couple of days, um, and especially as we're going into our new cohort for the ECC 12-week program um, in September. I'm, I'm kind of fascinated right now by what it means to take risk and how people are doing it or not doing it and why, um, and then linking that back to the nervous system. So that's kind of what's in process for me. Um, I'm so curious, Lauren, after the retreat, it, what's in process with you or for you. Um, yeah, that
1: I'll
2: stop. Yeah. Um, really
1: I like am reevaluating my marketing, social media strategies and sort of reframing, um, some things because I can't ever, I've gotten a lot of feedback in my life that I'm really good at marketing, even though that's never anything I intended to be good at, or I can't really say I'm like an, I know anything. I think my expertise is on, is my backgrounds with counseling. So it's that like connection with other people and understanding people at that level. I think that lends itself well to marketing and that that's what's coming out. But the part of marketing about like getting your, your product out there, that has always been difficult for me. So I've, um, I've always had to reframe things and especially after the retreat, I've, yeah, I've just realized I need to, I need to be on a base level. I just need to be more active. Um, I need to really share my process with people and that um, mm. that is sharing the product in some sense.
0: Yes. Yes. So, I'm really curious um about how what feels different about selling your product versus what you typically are selling, mm-hmm. which is your service, your studio, your teaching offers. Like talk a little bit about what it feels like the difference
1: is. Um well, it kind of goes back and forth between which one feels better. I mean, selling services at the studio, it's like a more traditional, at this point anyways, it's a more traditional product. Like people are aware of that context. And so there's some comfort mm-hmm. in in that and in going into that. But mm-hmm. <laughs> on the same token, if I really get into having to sell that stuff, that that is the icky saley just like i hate it (laughs) i I, that's like the like the used carsman sales feel and i um i hate i hate it (laughs) so much (laughs) um but i would say with the new programs it's it's not a traditional product or like i don't know people don't even realize that the, these kind of products exist out there. I think the majority of the public. So it's kind
0: of. Well, for, for movement specifically, right? Not just education, because people are pretty familiar at this point that there's education available online.
1: Yeah. But I would imagine that I don't part of people it are, are as aware that education is- exists online. That's like a deep dive long like a long-term deep dive of something that they could get into that's like really personalized if that makes sense mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. yes and yeah we say transformative Absolutely. right yeah. so so here's here's what i hear you saying and i think this is what i have heard other teachers say and it probably resonates with many of you which is in your studio when you're, quote unquote, selling your teaching, whether whatever your context is, if you own a commercial studio, a home studio, or you work for other people, you really don't have to sell much at all, right? You're not really like a lot of the work or a lot of this the, the selling, the purchasing happens right. automatically or by referral. And when right. you get that referral engine going, it's pretty self-sustaining unless you're making a new offer, you're changing things, you're doing something special. But in this realm, you really are having to start from scratch. Like you actually have to sell the thing, right? You have to talk about it. You have to connect. You have to educate. So do you feel like that's yeah. the primary
1: No, difference? I connect with like, that. And I think because- part of that that doesn't feel great is that it's like another part of like You're having to sell, you're going to, you have to like give validity to this process in your sales, if that makes sense. So like, I think once people experience it, they love it and they there's, you know, we talk about this all the time that like online isn't deficient compared to in-person, it's just a different modality of providing a service. There are things that you can get with an online program that you are not like convenience is a huge one that are not available with in person. Mm -hmm. But you have to kind of like that's part of the sales pitch. It's like beyond there's sort of this base level sales thing that has to go on on just the modality part. Um, And then it's the selling of like my program and what's specific to that. Um, So, yeah.
0: Yeah, so let's talk about the difference between, uh, okay, so so what Ann and I do and what you've been engaged in learning is transformative educational design, right? That can be in-person, that can be online, that can be hybrid. Now, mostly what we're doing is we're helping you design a container that uh, addresses what's called variability. In, in your learners, right? And that leads itself to um, cultivating expert learners as you develop yourself as an expert teacher. It lends itself to um, elevating the learner voice. Um, it lends itself to all of these components that, that can exist online. So, so we tend to lean in the online space or at least want to incorporate the online space because it opens up the opportunities for motivation, engagement, accessibility, flexibility. Um, so uh, I, would, I would be really interested to have, a, to explore with you what your impressions are of, now that you're learning transformative curriculum design, how does it feel different than what you can give your, your students when you're showing up for your one-on-ones or they're coming for classes, right? There's like, there's a finite sense of what you're able to deliver because it's contained by a, a very strict time frame, right? It's 55 minutes, it's 45 minutes, it's whatever it is. They come, they leave. And who knows what they're up to when they're not with you? All right. kinds of shenanigans, right? <laughs> So, but it's different the opportunity for transformation when you also are working within this container of transformational design. So what 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 are you getting from all of this so far? Like what how is this making sense to you and making an impact on how you're how you're yeah, creating so your
1: work? I think with my background, I am fortunate that I had a little bit of understanding of curriculum in general. Um and you know, it's at some level, it's just like goal set. Set a goal, get to the goal. Break down the steps to get to the goal. That was sort of my background in um, curriculum design. And just through everything we've done, and I, it's, I feel silly saying this because I'm, I have this counseling background, but but incorporating feelings into things, <laughs> you know, there's there's a whole realm of counseling theory that is very goal oriented and it's very much, and I, and I have just been reflecting on like how lacking in emotion (laughs) that particular branch of counseling is. It is very much like, what's our goal? What like very behavior oriented. Um, and it's been interesting to me to keep emotion front and center, um, with your objectives and with the transformation that you're trying to get to. And again, I do feel I'm like, well, yeah, of course, like that's the whole thing with counseling. Right. But, but I can't say that, that, that that's been like, at least in my experience for counseling training, that's not exactly like pushed very hard there, which I, that's another whole topic. <laughs> Yeah, well, let's pot, let's bunch it
0: all together and say anytime one person is trying to impart or impact or facilitate change on another person, we are seeing that objective mm-hmm. through a particular lens, right? Mm-hmm. And so if we're looking through a goal-oriented lens, which I think is really relevant for our movement community, um, especially our Pilates community, is that we're very form-driven We're very technically driven, right? We're very um, interested in like the postural outcomes or the functional movement outcomes. Those are very uh, uh, quantitative outcomes, right? They're like, we can track them. There are metrics that's clear. There's no subjectivity really about that. Um, But we all, I think most of us hold an underlying implicit understanding that when somebody improves their posture mentally and emotionally their lives will be improved right but the the idea of transformation is in the way that we are talking about it is that transformation happens on a very very deep level and and what we were trying to do is create behavioral transformation which is what supports the physical or body change, right? Transformation. And so we're kind of flipping things on their head a little bit. And we're saying, yes, all of these functional things, these very strategic goal oriented outcomes are important, but how do they make you feel when you either have reached them or you are not reaching them? Right. And so it's, it's about kind of, um, Because what we know from brain science and from universal design for learning, uh, which is the educational design model that we use, which is based in neuroscience, is that the brain really wants to know why we're doing a thing. And as human beings, we are emotional, right? We are emotional beings. And if we ignore the emotional implications of why, our motivation tends to be short-lived and shallow. So that's the, and, and a lot of this work is designed is based in humanistic psychology, which is Carl Rogers, as you know, um, and even goes beyond student centered teaching to something, you know, that, uh, people like Vanessa Rodriguez has, they've been talking about, you know, all of the different brain perspectives, all the different ways of learning both cognitive and emotional, social, um, et cetera. And so really what we're doing is we're saying there's more, we're bringing to the surface the implications of reaching the goal because we want our students to be self-advocating for their own change, right? And that's that's not always, people tend to, to orient in different ways, right? Again, so this is one of the concepts we teach, which is designing for variance right? There's all kinds of variants. We we all have it all, right? Sometimes, Lauren, you like to listen to things. Sometimes you like to watch things. Sometimes you like to hear things. Sometimes you like to move. Sometimes you don't like to move. Sometimes it's beneficial for you to be strictly goal-oriented. And sometimes you're driven by emotional experiences. We all have varying degrees of that at varying moments in our lives. And so by adding in this other really multi-layered component, um, we're saying more people will succeed. More people will be transformed for a longer lasting period of time. And yeah, go ahead. I see that you've got something to say. uh, It's accessibility. Yes, it is. Yeah, and... In in my mind, it's also empowering people to take ownership of their experience and their work. So in whatever way we can get them to connect with that, why not why not show all of the cards, right? Put all the desserts out on the table, so they can they can pick and choose the strategies, the perspective, the vantage point, right? You, they're they're creating their why based on like a variety of options of what, why, right. what, why could look like. It's not just, right. I want postural change. Well, that's great. Let's talk about and connect to
1: why. You know, it, it like make, it's like makes, making me think of, this is like, so I've, you know, I've got little, little kiddos and my four-year-old, I like tried to feed him blackberries forever and threw a freaking flip <laughs> every time and he likes other berries so like seemed like a logical thing wouldn't eat them so we are really fortunate we have like just wild blackberries here everywhere i'm not kidding when i say you drive around and you just see people picking them like on corners it's amazing
0: okay.
1: um so i you know we took him out to pick them and he just was like i want you know then he was like i want to try it and like loves it and now we're having to go blackberry picking every day sort of that you know it's just different how, and I think that that, I think most parents experience that with their kids and it is so like the basis of, I mean, you are, you're getting new information into this human system. It's not that different, but once they're respond, once they're like yeah. more involved in it, part of it, responsible for it, suddenly it becomes more appealing.
0: Yeah. So there's some science Mm -hmm. around autonomy with learners and that we tend to have greater prolonged motivation when we have autonomy. So your son's ability to choose how he enters into (laughs) a relationship with Blackberries was really important. It it was really important. And I love that example because it, 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 it simplifies the whole thing, but that's all we It's human nature. It's the way the brain works to want to have that kind of autonomy, have that kind of choice. We may not even know it, but when we have it, then we can decide, we can be in choice about how we are intaking, whether it's our own food or our relationships, our, you know, interpersonal interactions or taking in new information. Um, Shoot, there was something else I was thinking. Um about choice okay so let's talk let's talk about um how this has what kind of impact has this work had on like what what, how you're shifting your marketing now because uh, let me preface that question a little bit because what i see is that when you tap into how a thing feels you actually get this lovely little bypass where you don't have to convince anybody of, of like, you get to not have to educate them all the way on what the thing is. right? Right. It's like, because it's so compelling from an emotional perspective, from a deep personal change perspective that people are raising their hands, whether or not they know how it's happening or how it's organized, And as teachers, I think, and you noticed this in the retreat this weekend, that we're compelled to share the how. We think it's the how that's going to sell the thing. It's not. If, If the if the why and the outcome is compelling enough, and it has to be emotional, it has to be base need driven. Right? It has to be something that connects with the clientele, the audience, the students that you're serving. The how becomes Really unimportant. Yeah,
1: I mean, I think I said in the retreat, like my past experience of like, hey, I made a bunch of videos and readings for you. You want it? <laughs> like, yeah. like, no, I, I don't. Love that. Because I think, that, that like, yeah, it's, like,
0: why would I it's want like, that? Like, here's more work for you to
1: really. do. And I think that like, the whole our whole industry kind of struggles with that. A lot of the times the sale we're making is, here's more work that you need to do. Um,
0: Yeah. Do these five exercises at home by yourself that you don't fully understand and you don't know why you're doing them.
1: And then you're upset that they're not doing their homework. (laughs) Right. As an example. Who wants to do that? Um. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, the by—I mean, I—I I, yeah, the bypass for sure. I've been experiencing that. Like, I just made probably one of my more emotional marketing posts, and I definitely felt that like nobody cares about what the like specific deliverables are. I mean, they—they they will eventually care. Like, so what am I getting? Like that will don't get. But right now they're just like, oh yeah, yeah, I'm into that. But I do think it's like also, I think part of the reason we focus on the like, you know, the what versus the, or the how instead of the why is because it's much safer from my perspective, like from me as the person having to, you know, when I have to tap into the emotional side and then put it out there, like that's very, very vulnerable place to sell from. Um, absolutely. And that gets into the nervous system work because I have to really set myself up to be, to not go into avoidant behaviors once that starts kicking in and just reminding myself that I might be afraid, but I'm totally safe. I'm fine. So. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And isn't that a beautiful,
0: uh, juxtaposition to hold because it is actually also as a, as a body change expert, which is what you are, what you do for your students all the time is you create an environment for them to say, this is frightening. This feels scary, but I'm actually safe.
1: (laughs) Hi,
0: Tammy. Hi. All right. Um, uh, Thanks for jumping back on. We're gonna wrap up this portion of the conversation and then see what we can get out of your your internet connection. Oh, yeah. It's looking like it's still a little bit funky. Um. So that's so. Let's end on this note. I have two final questions for you, Lauren. One is what has there been anything surprising for you about the nervous system work on yourself? Um, And,
1: and how are you seeing it play a role in the way you're designing Um, your work? I think for myself, it was like a good reminder. How do I want to phrase this? So my, my, my operational, my theoretical background with counseling, I'm a big CBT junkie, which cognitive behavioral therapy and like everything underneath that umbrella. So that's, That work is very much likes to divide your thinking, your feelings and your behavior. So I kind of already came from this perspective of like, what am I thinking? How's that making me feel? And how is that making you behave? Change the thinking, change the feeling, change the behavior. But damn, if I wasn't doing that in my marketing, like that was not happening. I had a real um, like epiphany of like, I haven't applied this at all to my marketing behavior and what I was doing on a regular basis. So that, um, yeah, for me, it's a lot of marketing for me personally. But then in my course, just getting that reminder of, and kind of what we were talking about just a moment ago, like how, how do you want your students, what emotional state Do you need your students to be in so they can really receive the information you're giving them? Um, Right. That, that, that has to be built into the curriculum. And honestly, I can't say other than your course, obviously, I'm not sure I've ever really been in a learning environment that prioritized that so strongly, even in counseling. I don't, yeah, I mean, we obviously were, we like had whole courses devoted to emotion identification and what to do with that. But I'm not sure there was any effort of like, what, what, where are my students at today and what do I need to make this an optimal learning environment? Yeah,
0: that is fascinating. And, and what's so interesting is I wonder if. If for you, you can see that that thinking, feeling and behaving are not the same as the the nervous system state directs the thinking, which then couples together for the feeling and then creates the behavior. Like it's not just the thinking that drives the feeling, that drives the behavior. It's something so much deeper and unconscious.
1: Yeah, getting into some of that sort of like uh, primal emotional reaction stuff. Yeah, and with the neuroanatomy,
0: like your neuroanatomy is shaping your nervous system experience coupled with the stories that we've built in our implicit memory, like the things that are actually the brain having a thought and then we are identifying the thought and then associating a feeling and then that feeling coupled with the nervous system and the thought is then directing behavior so in my mind there's there's a big missing piece and and i think you know the the PVT the polyvagal theory is new enough still that that's not really that wasn't a foundation of the no, no, curriculum no. people weren't talking to you about how how to identify their own nervous system states, how to identify the nervous system states of their clients, and then proceed accordingly as you're describing. Um, we really are on the cutting edge of that very much, even though that theory has been out for 20 plus in 30 years, 30 years yeah. since early 90s. Yeah. We're still figuring out one, it's evolving, it's emergent, which, you know, all new knowledge is well, all knowledge I hope um and, and but we're really figuring out how does it apply to our human experience how does it apply to therapy how does emotional you know trauma how does it apply also to then body experience which is really our realm right that embodied experience um but I, I love to hear that and I I think my perspective always is like it's just a it's an integrating entry point for us as, as educators that work through the body to, to bring the body, the, like the bio and the psycho and the social, and then therefore, I think at least the mm-hmm. spiritual all together, right? So there's a wholeness in the way that we are attending to ourselves, attending to our lives and attending to the way that we design our education. Yeah. It's, it's a, it, it's a big deal, which is why we put so much focus yes. on it. So it looks like, uh, Tammy, um, uh, dropped off again. I think she's just having lots of challenges with her internet connection. We will definitely scoop her up on another occasion and see if we have better luck. Um, what What else is on your mind around being exposed to this work, um Lauren, that you are interested in sharing? Give me a moment <laughs>
1: um, yeah. I mean it's made me I'm just gonna like riff for a bit and then we'll we'll see what we want to stick with. How's that sound? <laughs> Sounds great. Um, <laughs> I mean, I've been thinking a lot about just like our educational systems in general, because there is such a there is such a pressure right now on them, and I think part of that might be not having this sort of dynamic curriculum, um, an yes. accessible curriculum. I mean, neuro, like being neurodivergency is just a hot thing right now in general. Um, and at some extent right now, it's sort of like everybody thinks they're a little neurodivergent, so then nobody is, but, um, right. It's definitely made me think about that quite a bit. Um, and that's not directly with my work, but, you know for people who don't really know me, I can't help but be like an activist. So I'm, I was, I just, yeah, I care about public systems, like our education system deeply. Uh, Um, You know, one thing I've been thinking about with it was like, I feel like part of my anxiety with my knowledge has been this feeling that it was just all this information kind of like up in the air buzzing around and it like didn't have a place to land. It wasn't, it was just like constantly Mm. circulating. Um, so I feel like this is giving me some tools and some systems to like start to funnel that energy into a more like targeted path. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: yeah Well, you've created, and I think this is uh, I think this is a thing that people in our particular professional community, and probably anybody who is oriented towards not toward knowledge seeking um, experiences like a, just an overflowing bucket mm-hmm. of information, right? And, and only a small percentage of it, percentage of it actually lands in the usable, applicable, I'm going to now make an impact with this um, kind of uh, arena, it, but we do have lots of knowledge because we're seeking it all the time. I mean, I know for a fact that you are consuming a lot of knowledge all the time. You've been sharing it with me. It. <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah, I have a much smaller bandwidth for new knowledge, honestly. Um, but I think that I think that it is it is something. What you're talking about is something that we see is teachers who have tremendous experience, they have passion, they have a variety of experience, right? because many people come to teaching movement or somatic work or embodied work um, from from other more traditional career paths, right? So, I mean, I've been in the room with literal like rocket scientists and multimillion dollar CEOs and the, all our movement teachers, all of a sudden, they're like, yeah, none of that. I want this. I want a richer kind of way of being, you know, of service in the world. Um, so how do you take your specialties, your background, your passions, your, your kind of unique and fine-tuned experience, and then do something with it, right? That's gonna, that's gonna make an impact, um, without maybe giving too much away. Um, and you can, you can decide how much of this you want to share. Um, I feel like, um, what you shared with us in the retreat was probably one of the mm, most full visioned ideas of how to make this work, like design it for your business. Um, because you do have an in-person studio, a live studio, that's many, many miles away from you, thousands of miles away from where you're currently living. Um, and you're you're working to build this other aspect of online education, both to stand alone and integrate with your business, um, what might you feel comfortable sharing about your, your strategy and how these things are dovetailing to, to lift both of these aspects up? So we're never, just to be clear, like we're never saying online education is better than in-person education or, or transformation. It's just different as Lauren pointed out before. But you've come up with a really beautiful way, I think, of of putting them together so that they're in support of and independent
1: yeah. of. So each other. I my move to out of Kansas City was kind of a surprise for everybody, myself included. But it just was an opportunity that presented itself. And um, I f- could clearly feel I needed to to take this opportunity to live somewhere differently. So as I'm, you know, leaving my studio, my clients are just sort of like really reflecting to me that they love Pilates, but the real product at the studio is me. Um, and you know, luckily we really haven't had a huge drop off of clients. So that, um, I of course was like a little nervous about that, but, um, They have stuck around, although they're still making clear that they miss me, like me, just something about me and my essence. And like, there was, you know, I am not a great Pilates instructor as far as like, we won't be talking during session. (laughs) If you are that kind of Pilates person, I am not your instructor because we are talking about everything. (laughs) But I, I just you know, part of my like thirst for knowledge and like why I'm always absorbing stuff is because it's like, it's all connected. And like, that's what our conversations are. Um, When you're in a session with me is like really like connecting things you didn't think were connected. And um, my clients love that. I love that. So I've really had to figure out a way of how am I going to be there for them without physically being there? How can they and like, how can I make myself a product, which sounds terrible. I don't, I don't, I got to figure out a better way to word that because I don't love that, how that sounds. But for now, we'll use that. How do I make myself a product? Um. So really, I'm just developing, you know, kind of like what I talked about today. I'm, I'm working on a postpartum class that's part of a larger offering of classes for women in transition times. And I'm kind of setting up, that model like a bunch of classes underneath a theme and i'm doing that a few different times on different themes um and then i'll be offering my clients the opportunity to really pick and choose over the course of a year which class they would like to be involved in so they get this sort of like on-demand service of um pilates and wellness and improving themselves, but it's, it's tailored to, to what they need, what they, they think that that is important to them versus like some of some other services. You really, you know, you just have a giant library of videos to choose from. You might sort of kind of have a collection of videos that are focused on, you know, whatever, pregnancy, abs and butts, (laughs) Yes. Yes. Low back,
0: shoulders. And whatever. you know,
1: yeah. I um all of my courses are gonna be really marrying all of my knowledge together. So that the counseling, mental health movement, a little bit of activism. <laughs> like getting like Man. getting aware of like yeah. you know, everything I mean, you think things aren't you think things like um politics or activism and community organizing like that that is doesn't have to be part of like your exercise routine. And I'm like, no, it is. (laughs) And I think that just gives more like meaning to what you're doing. You know, it's not just like, oh, I'm going to Pilates and bumping out some curls. Like, no, we're going to like connect you (laughs) to this bigger picture through the hundreds. No, (laughs) not through the hundreds.
0: Well. I mean what you're talking about is a very integrative approach to being. You know, it's not just so so here you are, your clients like all of us are saying you're the gem, you're the reason. Yes, Pilates might have been the entry point or movement or whatever was the entry point, but but I come and I stay and I refer my friends because I love this dynamic integrative approach that you talk about. Nothing is, you know, really off limits. You're always making a connection for anything that's happening. and And it's not that you're trying to make yourself a product. You're trying to give your students access to you no matter where they right. are in the world, right? Which is the beautiful, beautiful way in which transformative educational design allows you to not only do that, but do that in a way specifically for you, Lauren, and I think for many of us who have this desire to teach more holistically. Right? It's like it changes the container. And I always talk about it as like it's a container of curiosity. Right. We get to, we get to say, here are the possibilities. And then you as the learner, the expert learner, because I'm I'm cultivating that in you through the design of my programming, can now choose what of these connections you're ready for and when, and I'm going to support you. Um, it, And I also love this aspect of the the customization and in each of your programs in these three areas. They're not just classes. You kept saying yes. classes, and I, I want to clarify that they're not classes. They're 12-week transformative yes. programs that are highly... <laughs> they, they, that change behavior. They not just change the body, but they change behavior. And that again is in the design. That is not a syllabus. That's not, I love this phrase that you used um, last week. And It's mm-hmm. not the bits and cogs. It's the, it's the understanding of what lies beneath and how is this work impacting all of these different areas of your life. And then the other thing I wanted to kind of lift up um, for folks is that, this allows you to give yourself to your students to keep the brand alive of your studio, but it also allows them to to go deeper with the teachers yeah. at your studio. Right? They they have this yes. option now of like getting everything that they want in person and you accessibility, flexibility, and the deep work. What did you say? It has A little more little bite bit to more it. Bite. Yes. Yeah. Um say just say well, what you
1: mean by that. Like have we already talked no, about that? No, I mean specifically with the postpartum thing. I mean, I think a lot of things around pregnancy are very nice. Um very nice. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They're soft and, and rosy and gentle. not even that. I mean, this is not the best example, but it's one I come to a lot. So in um Handmaid's Tale. There's this scene, I have not worked my way all the way through that, but I think it's in the first season. There's this scene where, um, I can't even remember what everybody's names are, but like the, um, the, the women in teal are like giving birth. And then there's like the actual woman giving birth. Do you know what scene I'm talking about? Like at the beginning? Well, so like there's this, the woman in teal, she's giving birth and there's like a harp and there's soft pillows and it's like very... Breathe and ah, oh, and just feel and <laughs> <love. laughs> it's that—it's it's very totally nice. Like that. And then there's like the room where like the real deal's happening, and it's just raw and guttural and like just there. And I feel like so much pre and postnatal offerings are that teal woman room. And maybe that's because I'm a white woman and that's like what I'm getting served as a white woman. I think there's probably an element to that. But it's such a lie. (laughs) Like, It's just, it's such a lie and it doesn't really honor the depth of the experience that women are experiencing giving birth. And it just kind of like discredits the power behind that experience in the first place. I mean, I keep telling my husband, like, you don't get to, like, walk up to the gates of life and, like, come back, like, as the same person you were before. Like, it's, it gets intense. <laughs> it's it's a bit much. But that's the bite. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's that. And then, you know, my activism bit really, you know, I think it's, um, how do I want to say this so I don't? <laughs> I think it's important for moms to do their job well, not just for our children, but for ourselves and how we want to shape what being a woman is for future generations. Mm. And I feel like a lot of times that like, it's important that moms do their job well, Mm -hmm. that statement usually doesn't care at all about the mom.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: God, I love you so much. I want to just, I want to say something because I think it's important. Um, and I wonder, I wonder, will you be talking at all about white privilege and the experience of people of color versus, yes. or women of color versus? Women? Of course, white, yeah. women,
1: white bodies. I, I, yeah. I like, yeah. And there's that, a couple books that I'm referencing in it, and just talking about that, and, um.
0: That. Yeah. I think that's so deeply yeah. valuable. Yeah. So deeply valuable. Um, yeah, the way we perceive what it should be, what's the, what's the white version of, you know, pregnancy and delivery. Um, and just, just because it's right here on my coffee table, if you have not read this, the trouble with white women, this is an excellent, excellent book. If you're doing your, you know, racial equality work for yourself, and you are a person, a white body, and orient as a female, this is really powerful, powerful stuff. Um, I think probably dovetails really well with the work that you're doing. Um, Lauren, I am so grateful for yet another really rich, inspiring conversation with you, and so excited to continue to support you in developing your work, both in the online digital space and to bring it to your, your beautiful studio in Kansas city. Um, and the world is really lucky to have you you.
1: right back at you.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Um, thank you. Um, we will make sure that you share anything about your work, your studio yourself that you'd like to in the comments in the Facebook group. And then, um, we'll make sure that that information gets into the show notes for the podcast So if there is a way for people to reach out to you, um, if they want to ask you questions or if you're open to that, please just put that in the comments in the Facebook group. And again, we'll make sure it gets transferred into the show notes. So if you're listening to this and it's 2024, (laughs) you know, and we're we're a long way away from this actual moment, um, and you're inspired and excited by what Lauren has shared and what she's doing, and you want to see how it's all come together, we would we would love to be able to make sure people can connect with you. So, um, thanks again for being here. Sorry we couldn't get Tammy on board, but now we just have yeah somebody else for next. All good. One.
2: All, All right, good.
0: awesome, Lauren. Thanks so much, and have a really you wonderful too. Thursday.
2: All right, bye bye. Well, as always, we'd like to say a big thank you for your time and attention. We know how precious it is. We love hanging out with you and serving this amazing community of inspired leaders and educators who desire to make a bigger impact and bring their whole selves to this awesome party. We hope you are leaving feeling a little inspired, refreshed, maybe even excited, and a little bit giddy. The absolute sweetest and most powerful thing you can do to support this not-for-profit, minimally sponsored podcast is to tell us how much you love us, and there are a couple of ways you can do that. You can leave us your comments and reviews on iTunes or YouTube. Both are better. And if you didn't know, we have a YouTube channel. Now you do. Or by sending us the occasional love letter to embodiedbusinesspodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, we hope you'll keep asking, how do I want my business and my life to feel?